You're listening to. You're listening to. You're listening to. You're listening to. The Life Tree Community Church Podcast. I'm going to share with you one of my favorite quotes. I'm a quote guy. If you haven't figured that out, I like quotes. I like words. It's kind of my world. I live in the word, word world. It was a show kids watched a long time ago. Remember Word World? Yeah, was anybody? Word World? No, I don't know if anybody watched that. You know, Linda. Yeah, of course. Yeah, Linda, you remember that one. It's a good one. Um, and so uh, I love quotes. I, I copy them down anytime I come across something. This one you've probably heard before. It's, it's, uh, it's not new, but it's, but it's special. And it's uh, from a French aviator and writer named Antoine de Saint-Exupéry. Does that sound like my French is good? Cause I was, I'm just butchering it. That's terrible. Antoine de Saint-Exupéry, and he wrote these words. He said this, if you want to build a ship, don't drum up men to buy wood, prepare tools, distribute jobs, and organize the work. He says, instead, teach them to long for the endless immensity of the sea. Oh, that's good, isn't it? That's good. You know why it's, you know why it's so good? You know why that quote is so good? It's because it's got a sailboat. No, why this quote is so good because it's not enough for us to just know what to do. It's not enough for somebody to say, do this, to know what. We want to know why, right? We want to know why. We want to know the why behind what we're doing. If we have a why, we'll figure out the what, right? Like if you have a why, if you know what you're supposed to be, if, if why it matters and what you're supposed to be, the big picture of what you're accomplishing, you'll figure out how to do it. The details on our journey of faith, here's how this connects. On our journey of faith, it's not enough to know the things that we're supposed to do. It's not enough just to say, hey, do these things and you'll honor God. Pray, read your Bible, you know, tithe, do all those things and you're good. It's not enough to just know the religious things. We need a why. We need to know the heart behind it. We need to know why it matters. In the past few weeks, we've been exploring the idea that faith is a boat that leads us out past the shore of what we know into the deep waters of life where the treasure of faith is found, where the treasure of life is found. And though many of us truly want to discover what faith can lead us to, there are storms that can and perhaps have shipwrecked our faith along the way. Things that have happened to keep us grounded and we're, we're just, we're not sailing on anything. We're just stuck. And the goal of this series of messages is to help us learn how to navigate the storms and even rebuild faith if the storms have sunk us because there is treasure out there. I need you to hear this. There is treasure out there. Okay? There's peace and joy and strength and understanding beyond anything you can manufacture on your own. The life of faith is worth living. Well, this is good. You say, amen, right? A life of faith is worth living, right? It absolutely is worth living. And though you may be fighting storms that tempt you to stop seeking, to stop trying, to just, just play it safe, to just exist, we need to examine our hearts and find that deep down there is a hunger for more. There's a hunger for that endless immensity out there. That's what drives us. That's why we're here. Why are we doing this? Why do we come together every Saturday night? Why do we continue to try and slug through this world that continues to tell us this is not worth it? It's not good. Just take a shortcut. Do something else. Just pursue happiness. Just pursue wealth or leisure or luxury or whatever, pleasure, whatever makes you happy. But forget faith. It's not real. Why do we do this? Because inside, deep down, we know 
somewhere out there, there's something better. There's something beyond just what the people, maybe stuck on a shore with us saying, there's nothing out there. The best thing you can do is, is, is grab some drinks and put your feet up and sit in the sand. That's all there is. But we know somewhere there's more out there. So how do we get to it? How do we get to it? And that's what we're talking about. In week one, I'll do a quick recap of where we've, we've talked in the last few weeks just to catch you up if you haven't been, been, been tracking with us. Week one, God has given us each a compass. Right? We've got this compass inside. It doesn't point north. <laughs> it points to what's true and what's right. And we shipwreck our faith if we violate that compass. It's called our conscience. If we know something is right and we do the wrong thing, that's how we get off track. Because God has already planted that deep inside. We rebuild simply by doing what we know is right. That's it. Week two, we talked, you can shipwreck your faith if you miss the point of faith. If you think faith is about doing things or, or impressing people or impressing God or doing it, and the point of faith very simply is love. The point of all this is to love. And we rebuild by choosing to keep love as the point, to make sure we keep the main thing, the main thing, right? Week three, we said you can shipwreck your faith if you grow prideful. If you think you know better than God. God, you should do it this way, God. I know you're big and you're great and all, but you, I mean, I know what I'm doing. <laughs> Like, God, you should do it my way. And your ship just starts to sink. And we rebuild by reminding ourselves daily, yeah, God knows what he's doing. He knows exactly what he's doing in my life. He is not sleeping. He is not slumbering. He hasn't off the job. He hasn't missed a moment. He knows precisely what he's doing, and it's infinitely better than anything we could imagine. And then last week, Shana said we can shipwreck our faith if we miss God in our own story. We don't see where God is working in our own story. We just go through life and say, God, where are you? He's, he's always in our story. We need to see it. And so we can rebuild that by testifying, by constantly sharing our story because it reminds others and ourselves, God is in my life. This is what God is doing in me and through me. So this week, we're going to examine another threat to our faith and how we can guard against it or perhaps rebuild if we've already done some damage. Um, so... Uh, how many of you can't wait to hear another storm? It's going to be good, right? You're like excited. Ah, oh, this is going to be great. I love this. Yeah, it's going to be so good. It is. It's going to be good. Um, we use an app in our family to track our children. Uh, it's, a, it's a good thing. I don't know if anybody has this app. It's called Life360. Yeah, here you go. Life360. You have it? You got it? Yeah, it's a good one. Yeah, parents, if you don't know about it, you're welcome. Kids, if your parents don't know about it, parents, you should know about this app. It's great. It's free. You download it. Your kids download it. They can't take it off. Um, and it lets you know where they are at all times. It's uh, it's sort of like, you know, find my iPhone, but it's a little different. They, they find, and so you can track them and all this kind of stuff. Um, and it's pretty cool. Um, our parents didn't have that growing up, right? Your parents did not have that. They had no idea where you were all the time, right? You just went, and you came back when it was dinner time. Different world, different day. Um, so here we go. And one feature I found on this, which is really interesting, you can click on somebody, and if you scroll down a little bit, you can see every place that they have gone that day. You can see how, how long they were there, how fast they traveled on that trip from place to place, how long each journey. And you can actually go back, I think, about four or five days with the free version. With the paid app, you can go 30 days back. Okay? Um, mm -hmm, yeah. You can see it in real time as they're moving, how fast they're moving. So you'd be like, all right, they're in the car. Oh, they're doing 50. Oh, they're doing 60. Oh, they're doing 70. Right? <laughs> like, you, can, you can track, right? Um, it's an entire day's history of movement. Isn't that interesting? 
Yeah. How many of you are so glad your parents did not have that? <laughs> yes, most of the room. All right. But technology, that's the world we live in now, that technology is keeping track of all sorts of information. We know this, right? It's the great battle of technology, right? Web browsers track the sites you've been to. Google tracks everything you click on. Tracks who you talk to. Right? You've been Alexa, right? You say something in the room, you're like, how do they know? Like, it's just, it's really, really weird how it tracks all this stuff. Your Fitbit and your phone track your steps. It tells you how you slept. It monitors your heartbeat, right? And some of us do this on purpose. Some of us don't want any of that, right? Your bank account and your credit reports, they, oh, they've got information on you. They tell a story. They know where you shop. They know, they know when you're having a baby. They, if, you go to, if you're having a baby at a hospital, buckle up, you're going to get uh, coupons for diapers because they know. They all share information. It's how we've got all this stuff, social media, keep tracks of everything you've ever said, anything you've ever shared, anybody you've interacted with, our GPS on our phones, they track us. They know so much about us. We should all go live in a bunker. That's, that's the solution. We should all go live in a bunker. Get off the grid. It is what it is. You can deal with it however you want. That's not the point of the message. The point of the message is this. Like never before, our past is pretty accessible. Our past is pretty accessible. People are finding things from people's past, what they said, what they did, how they reacted. It's constant. Every single day, they're digging up things from people's past. It used to be confined to paper documents, Right and uh, and memories, to photographs in a shoebox in someone's attic and journals and things like that. That's how we used to track the past. Now it's on video, on a hard drive, on a server somewhere. It's accessible in seconds. For some of you, you really don't care. Your past isn't that interesting, <laughs> and uh, you can't imagine why anyone would go looking for it. You're like, feel free, go ahead. You can see that I got C's in you know, all my math classes. Nobody cares, right? It doesn't matter. But for some of you, your past is pretty heavy. Right? And perhaps you've got some skeletons in your closet, some things that you've been trying to forget for a long time, things you don't want to talk about, parts you've been trying to cover and forget. And I bring that up for this reason, our past. See, our past is a storm that has the potential to shipwreck our faith, our past. Because our past can be so heavy, so complicated, so layered with stuff. Emotional, relational, family, just physical things that happen to us in the world around us. Our past can be full of stuff that leads to guilt and shame and hurt and pain and regret and things that just weigh us down and they can sink our ship. Last week, Shana talked about the importance of sharing our stories, how our stories are, uh, they tell the story of God, right, and reveal who he is and what he's doing and who we are in relation to him. So I'd like this week to kind of put that in practice, and we're going to listen to one man's story and a man who had a really, really dark past, like uh, someone who did things most people in this room would never think of doing. In fact, this person had such a checkered past, he labeled himself the worst sinner ever. Worst sinner ever, right? How, would you, how many of you, have, that's like your fantasy football team. That's what you've called yourself. I am the worst sinner ever. I'd like to introduce myself. I have a title. My title is worst sinner ever, right? Um, if anyone is going to have their past shipwreck their faith, it's this guy, okay? If, like, just understanding context. It's this guy. And yet he refused to let his past compromise his faith. And today we're going to discover how he did that. His given name, here we go, was Saul of Tarsus. Right? You probably have heard that name before. 
Um, Tarsus was a capital city. It was like, where's Tarsus? It's capital city um, out in, uh, in the Middle East. It was very metropolitan. Uh, very, very, I mean, capital. Think capital. So build, you know, like it wasn't just a suburb. This was like the place where everything happened. Economy growing. This was in the heart of the Roman Empire. So that meant that Saul was also a citizen of Rome, which was at that time in history, Rome was it. It was like a big deal. They were, they were the empire. Um, he was born into an elite Jewish family, studied under, uh, in Jewish, the best Jewish schools, a uh, powerful and promising young man. Uh, he was known uh, as part of a group of, a group of Jews called Pharisees, and they were known for being zealous for the law. These, I mean, they, they knew how to do things the right way. They were following the letter of the law, and they were zealous about it. They did everything by the book. This is what they were all about. They were full of passion. Paul had... Uh, Saul was known for his energy, had a lot going for him, all this kind of stuff. I mean, Saul's is a, a contemporary of Jesus. We don't know that he ever met him in person, not in the flesh. Let's just say that. Never met him in the flesh. Um, uh, and he struggled, so he was around that time, and he struggled to accept Jesus' teachings. Just couldn't believe that Jesus was actually the Son of God. Was a Jew waiting for a Messiah, but couldn't connect the dots that Jesus was actually that person. Just didn't, didn't fit his, his framework. Um, and so, as a result, then, his zeal for the law led him to actually, like, deny Jesus. Not only deny Jesus, but, like, challenge, confront people who said they followed Jesus so much so that he began to attack them and start to, like, harass them and, and like, capture them. And it was bad. He did lots of bad things. And we're actually told that there was a young man named Stephen who was uh, sharing about Jesus the crowds didn't like it, and they go to stone him. They try to kill him, and they do kill Stephen. And the end of the story is that they're laying their coats, as they're going to throw stones, they're laying their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. And I could imagine Saul just like standing there as they're killing this guy who's preaching for you know, Jesus, and he's just like smug and grinning like, yeah, get him, get him. Oh, that's a good throw. Do more, do more. Like, this is good. This is good. Saul... Like, he was so dangerous that the followers of Jesus were terrified of him. He had a reputation. He was known throughout the circles as, watch out for that guy. He's coming for us. He, he's, he's bad news. Judas betrayed Jesus. We know that. Saul took care of the rest of the followers. <laughs> I mean, if there was anyone who epitomized an, energy, an enemy of Jesus, it's, it's Saul. Saul's a bad dude. And he was proud of it. Until one day... Until one day, he's on a mission to get some more Christians, and he has an encounter with God. Um, I'm just kind of summarizing some stories here. He, he has an encounter with God, and make a long story short, it changes him. He's changed in a moment. He goes from being the biggest hater to, I believe God. He can't, I mean, you can imagine, he actually, it says he had this vision from God. God shines a light down. He has like this really profound experience, spiritual experience. And you can imagine that happened to you. You'd be like, all right. All right, yeah, yeah, you, you got me. I believe. I believe it's not just stories now, you know. Um, and he becomes a believer. God changes his name to Paul, which we all have heard. And God sends him out now to preach, to be a leader of the church. So think about this. Bad guy, really bad guy, hating the church, terrible reputation, all this stuff. And then God says, okay, now I want you to go out and preach. How, do you, how often do you think Paul thought about his past? Like, do you think it affected the way he felt about himself? 
Do you think that as he was going out to preach, he's thinking about, man, all those, all those times. All those times I was attacking people. Do you think maybe what brought some of the forcefulness to Paul's ministry as we read about him in the future came from that past? You know, if I was so loud then, I need to be even louder now. Right? I mean, and here's the question. How do you think other people felt about Paul? <laughs> they wanted to kill him for all he had done. <laughs> Let alone learn. Wait, you're here to teach me? You're, you? You're going to come teach me? Right? The guy who, right? You're, you're, you're Saul, right? Of Tarsus, right? <laughs> like, this is you? Paul had baggage. See, we hear Paul now so many years later, and we think of the Paul who wrote the Scriptures. We think of Paul the saint. But back then, all they knew was Paul the sinner. That's who he was to them. So we've been given a window into Paul's mind. In his letter to Timothy, Paul tells us part of this story. He kind of breaks down how he thought about himself, who he was, where he came from. So I'm going to read that for you. It'll be on the screen behind me. And it says this, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. It says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has given me strength to do His work. He considered me trustworthy and appointed me to serve Him even though I used to blaspheme the name of Christ. In my insolence, I persecuted His people. Uh, two of the best words on the planet, but God had mercy on me because I did it in ignorance and unbelief. See, Paul doesn't hide his past, not covering it up. He owns it. He's not excusing it by saying it was done in ignorance. He's not saying, oh, it wasn't me. I was unbelief. It wasn't. He's not saying that. I mean, it was him that was attacking people and persecuting people and blaspheming and denying that Jesus was the Son of God. This is Paul. He's simply saying here, that he did those things from a place of deception, a place of foolishness. He acknowledges that he didn't believe. He says, I did it because I didn't believe Jesus. His actions were actually consistent with someone who doesn't believe in Jesus. It shouldn't be surprising for someone who doesn't believe in Jesus to attack those who do. Right? It makes total sense. He's simply acknowledging that his past was a result of his lack of understanding. It reflects genuine belief at the time. I think for us, we need to make... It makes sense for people who don't believe Jesus to challenge people who do. It follows. Like, it makes so much sense. That's what Paul's saying. That's where it came from. I didn't believe, so that's what I did because that's people who don't believe. That's what they do. It makes sense. But God... But God had mercy on him. And he didn't give him what he deserved. God knew what was going on. And this tells us so much about the heart of God here. Verse 14, he says this, Oh, how generous and gracious our Lord was. He filled me with the faith and love that come from Christ Jesus. If you were God, how would you handle Saul? If you saw Saul picking off all those people that are just, I mean, sincerely trying to believe in a world that's, that they're, they're having to, to really like come out of their families and, and deny their families and say, okay, this is a big deal, God. I'm stepping out. I'm trusting you. And these people are trying their best. And this guy's coming along, attacking everyone. If you're God, how would you feel about Saul? You know, smush, right? That's what, it's what you would do. It's what I would do. And God chooses to be good to Saul. He doesn't have to. 
But he says he's not, he doesn't say he was gracious, he says he was generous with his grace. Not stingy, he filled Saul with faith and love till overflowing. Paul can't stop gushing about how good God is here. Verse 15, this is a trustworthy saying and everyone should accept it. Everybody should accept this. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners and I am the worst of them all. And I am the worst. I love how the message translation uh, is a little more modern take. And this is how it says. It says, here's a word you can take to heart and depend on. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. I'm proof. Public sinner number one. Come on. Of someone who could never have made it apart from sheer mercy. Public sinner number one. If there's a top ten list of, of sinners, Paul's saying, I'm number one. I'm at the top. I made the list. Right? If God had really wanted to make an example of somebody, Paul's the guy. Paul's the guy who said, okay, here, I'm going to show you what I do with people who don't believe me. Right? I'm going to make an example of this guy. It would be a powerful deterrent if God absolutely wrecked, wrecked Saul. It was just like, you know, I'm going to show you everybody, right? Okay, here you go. Leprosy, okay, let's see what else can we give you, right? Your whole family hates you. The world will hate you, and you've got to live forever, like that. How about just a life of, on earth of torment? Like, right? Like, that would be awful. Right? You never die, so you'd have no relief from it. Right? You just... Instead, God says, you know... Actually, God says, I am going to make an example of you. Because I am going to make an example of you. Verse 16 says this, But God had mercy on me so that Christ Jesus could use me as a prime example of His great patience with even the worst sinners. Then others will realize that they too can believe in Him and receive eternal life. God literally made an example of Paul, just not the kind of example we'd expect. He made him an example of his great patience. God is supremely patient. Want to know who God is? That's a patient God. And he's not just putting up with Paul. He's not just tolerating Paul. He is actively waiting for Paul to come to his senses to wake up and to understand. That's what he is waiting for. Because God wants everyone to know that's how he operates. God doesn't disagree with Paul. Yeah, you're a pretty lousy person. You're pretty terrible. Yeah, it was awful, right? You did a lot of really hurtful things. And God wants us all to know, I am patient with even the worst sinners because I love them. Because I love them. Here's what this means for us. Ready? God is patient with you. God is patient with you. We all have a past. You may feel like Saul. Like if there's a top ten list, Saul might be one. You're probably one B. You're number, right? You're, you're, you're right up there. You, got, you, got, you, keep, you keep track. You may feel like God's going to make an example of you, all right. <laughs> and it's not going to be pretty. Or maybe you don't think you're that bad but you still have done things that disappoint God and you can't just let go. You, you're always thinking about things that you've done in your past. Maybe you're, you're not like the worst, but you've just got this in your head. And here's what we need to understand and make sure we guard against. The weight of our past can very easily shipwreck our faith. You may have done things in ignorance and regret, and regret what you've done. You may say things like, I don't deserve. I can't change. I was too bad. It's too secret. If you knew what I did, if you knew who I was, if you knew me when, 
Oscar Wilde, interesting fellow, but he had this quote, profound, says this, the only difference between the saint and the sinner is that every sinner, every saint has a past, and every sinner has a future. We all have a past. We all have a past. Everybody that you see that seems like they're, they've got faith figured out, everybody that you see that you go, man, they just seem like they've got it all together. <laughs> it's in the money in the bank. They got a past. There is nobody on earth who looks like they are living a life that's totally faith-filled that does not have a past. We all need forgiveness. We all need grace. We all need it. Every single one of us. But if we find ourselves at the bottom of the ocean floor, if we sit there going, God, I'm so bad, I'm so unworthy, let me just tell you, every sinner, every sinner has a future. That's what God wants us to know. I was patient with Paul, I'll be patient with you. I was patient with the worst of the worst, people who were literally killing people for following me, I'll be patient with you. God wants you to know the failures and brokenness of your past are actually the very things God wants to make an example out of. He wants to use those things to show love to a world that is also drowning in guilt and fear. Because there's a world out there that feels like garbage, that feels like they're not worthy, that God couldn't, if there's actually a perfect God, that he couldn't love them, that they're not worthy of grace, that they're not worthy of, those, of those, that thing out there beyond the shores. It's not even worth because, God, listen, I'm a bad person. I mean, I'm okay, but I've never honored God. I haven't done those things. I've done so much. I've got a history. I've got a history. And every time that we step into this, we're opening up the door for others. God makes him a prime example, not for Paul. He doesn't... Paul didn't need an example. Paul's living it. The example was for everybody else. That's why God put Paul, Paul says, God, you put me on display for the world to see. You're airing me out for everybody to see, but it's not to embarrass me. It's to let the world know that's what I do for people. I'm patient. I love them. I never give up. I never give up. Your past doesn't rob you of the future he has for you. God is not just putting up with you. He is patiently waiting for you to understand. Those moments where you do things that are wrong, that you know are outside, that all that stuff you did, God says, hey, I know. I know. I know that was done in ignorance. I know you don't get it. I see you. I see through you. I understand. You don't. Because if you knew, you wouldn't do that. If you understood how much I loved you, you wouldn't have, you wouldn't have made that decision. If you understood all this stuff, I know you'd respond differently. And God says, all right, I'm just going to wait. I'll be patient with you. I'm going to keep showing you my love. I'm going to keep after you, and I'm going to be patient. I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, Paul says, who has given me strength to do his work. He considered me trustworthy and appointed me to serve him. Can I ask you, you know what your future includes? God gave Paul a mission and an appointment to bring the news of Jesus to the rest of the world. And he couldn't have held it if he was holding on to his past. He couldn't have received what God wanted to put in his hands if he's still holding on to his past. He said, I've sinned too much, God. I've, God I mean, I appreciate what you've done for me, but I can't, I can't go preach now because I disqualified myself. God, I can't accept this appointment you want to give to me because I'm still holding on to this past here. I mean, you know who I am, all this stuff. If Paul had said that, how many people would never have heard? 
Half the New Testament, basically, is written by Paul. I mean, all these sermons I'm preaching, we wouldn't have them. <laughs> these are his letters we're reading. See, here's the rub. You have to let go of your past in order to take hold of your appointment. God's got something he wants to put in your hands to do. You have a role and a responsibility that God wants to call you to. He's not just been patient with you so that you can figure out that he loves you and then sit there with it. He wants to go make an example of you for other people. He doesn't want to send out perfect people. God's not looking to call people who have it all together. God's looking for a bunch of screwed up people. Great. Oh, look at all these examples. All these messed up people. I'm going to take you. And I'm going to let you, I'm going to be patient with you. And when you figure it out, oh, it's going to be good. It's going to be good. Because what the world knows of Paul is not the Paul pre-Jesus. It's the changed Paul. We don't know about Saul. We don't, I mean, people, you grew up hearing the stories of him. But what we know about the impact is, is Paul. Because that story far exceeded his past. You can't hold on to what was and accept what should be. God has an appointment for you, and he has work for you to do. If the weight of guilt, here's the good news, if the weight of guilt is what sank us, if our past is what is putting us down, then it's the gift of grace that will raise us. Jesus paid the penalty for all our sins. We can hold on to our past if we want. It's our prerogative. We can. We are allowed to hold on to our past. And it will take you all the way down. You get to choose. Or you can let Jesus take it. You can offer it to Jesus. Say, like Paul, this is what I was. Public enemy number one. I was awful. The chief of sinners. I blasphemed. I attacked people. I persecuted. I did the bad things. But God didn't give up on me. Letting go of your past doesn't deny that it happened. It simply refuses to allow it to define you. Practically this week, how are you going to do this? How do we do this? How do we do that? Let God use you. I, I just want to encourage you. Offer yourself to God this week to be used as an act of defiance against your past. Instead of listing all the reasons you're not good enough that God shouldn't use you, instead use that energy to say, okay, God, what's your appointment for me this week? Just very simply, God, what are you asking me to do this week? You have an appointment for me. Okay, oh, okay, God. Whatever you're asking me to do, I'll do it. I'll just, I'll just do it. Because if you're too busy doing what God has in front of you, you don't have time to go back and review, review all the reasons you're not qualified. You're too busy. I'm too busy doing the work of God to pay attention to all the reasons I shouldn't be here. Today is a brand new day. There you go. Today's a new day. Brand new day. Yes, your past... God knows, sees it all, doesn't deny it, all of us. But you have an appointment. God is so generously gracious with all of us. And here's the best part. Your decision to let go of your past will accomplish three things. I invite Dan to come on up. Here's the three things. One, you get to move forward. You get to move forward into what you were made to do. And can I tell you, that is so deeply fulfilling. When you find I have an appointment and I'm doing it, you go, oh, oh, this is what I was made for. 
And there's something inside you that the rest of the world, listen, you could have a thousand vacations. You could own the biggest houses. You could own it all. But there is nothing that compares with the sense inside that I'm doing what I was created to do. I'm, I was made for this. I was made for this. So deeply fulfilling. You get to step forward. You get to sail out into the unknown and say, God, I don't know what you're going to do today, but I can't wait to find out what it's going to be. You've got an appointment for me, God. So that's number one. Number two, others will find that they can too. Makes us feel like our pain isn't wasted, like all those screw-ups. It wasn't for nothing that God actually redeems that stuff. And he uses it as an example for others. Makes our lives valuable. Here's the thing. The most loving thing you can do for the people you care about is accept God's forgiveness for yourself and step into his appointment. Think about it. Because when you resist it, when you say, I can't, I'm not good enough. When you resist and reject it, you know what you're doing for everybody else? You're telling them they're not good enough either. And you hold them hostage. And they can't receive what God has for them. Because if you can't, they can't. But when you accept it, when you say, okay, God, I'm I'm a worse sinner, but I'm going to step into what you have for me to do. I don't feel qualified. I don't feel competent. I don't feel able, but I will do it. When you do that, it's a prime example for everyone around you that they can too. And the third thing that happens is that God gets to see his patience rewarded. It's a gift that we give God. We call it worship. We call it an offering. We get to give God ourselves. God who is supremely patient. Let me tell you, scriptures tell us that right, hope deferred makes the heart sick. But desire realized, those who through patience wait for something and hope for something, when we receive it, oh, it's good, right? When you receive it, it's good. You go, oh man, that was, some say it's sweet to the soul, Others say it's a tree of life. I like that version, right? But there's this idea that when, you, when you're waiting for something, it's so good. Let me ask you, if God is patient, I got to imagine that he experiences joy when that patience pays off, when we turn to him. It says there's more joy in heaven when one sinner turns to him. There's this joy that happens. A God who is supremely re- patient receives joy of knowing His patience paid off. Nothing brings God more joy than when we step from the darkness into the light. God, I'm going to let go of my past. I'm going to do what you said. I'm going to hand you the past, what you died for. You paid for that. i got no business carrying it around anymore. This is paid for. It's stupid. I don't need to. It's empty. There's nothing I can do to change it. You've already forgiven it. I'm going to put it down. You get to move forward. Others get to as well. And God gets to receive his reward of of joy. So I want to invite the team just to play for a moment. And then we're going to sing a song. We're going to sing Amazing Grace. I think it's a fitting song. But I just want to ask you just for a few moments, for a few moments, would you just close your eyes right now? I'm going to ask you just to talk to God, to listen to God. Would you invite God just to right now confirm this word to you that he forgives even the worst sinners and that he has an appointment for you this week. Ask God to tell you what you are to do, what your appointment is. 
maybe just today, tomorrow, the week to come, just, God, what's your appointment for me? I'm just going to give you just a few moments just to, to listen. And then we're going to sing as a way of, of just consecration, of saying, God, we seal what you're doing in our lives. And we commit, we accept our responsibility to do that. So would you just ask God to speak to you and reveal just for a few moments what your appointment is?